You are listening to the Happier at Work podcast, and I'm your host, Aoife O'Brien. This is the podcast for HR and business leaders. We talk about things like leadership, well-being at work, diversity and inclusion, and the future of work. The only way you're going to learn how to do this well is just to get out there and do the work and fail, do the work and fail, do the work, have a victory, do it again, fail a little bit later, right? You're going to get it. My guest on the podcast today is Brenda Neckfuttle. She is an international award-winning HR professional and is often referred to as the HR force of nature by her clients. Love that phrase. Not only does she help business leaders solve their most difficult people issues, but she is also a specialist in crisis management, government contracting, HR compliance, and a mentor to women in HR working as HR Department of One. Having the benefit of working for a total of five Fortune 500 companies, she converted her experience into advising her audience to use tried and trusted best practices that help small businesses achieve their workforce goals. In her 30-year career in human resources and business, she has consulted to nearly 500 small businesses and C-suite leaders. She has optimised employee effectiveness and helped mitigate the high costs that are associated with making hasty employment-related decisions. And can I definitely relate to that one? Perseverance, integrity and relentless optimism are just a few of the ingredients that make up what you experience when meeting and working with Brenda. And that is definitely how I have experienced her in any interactions that I have had. I know you are really going to enjoy today's episode. It's specifically from the HR perspective and how to increase trust in work, which I think is really, really important, especially now when we're moving more towards this hybrid work model and remote working. So I know you're going to enjoy today's episode. As always, I will be doing a wrap up at the end. It would be great if you could get involved in the conversation on LinkedIn as well. Welcome, Brenda, to the Happier at Work podcast. I'm absolutely delighted to have you as my guest today. Would you like to give a little bit of background for you and how you got to where you are today in your career? Yeah, absolutely. So thank you so very much. Um, I am Brenda, the HR lady. I'm based out of the East Coast here in the United States over in the Virginia Beach area. And I have a dog that's in the room with me who's being exceptionally naughty right now. So <laughs> if, I start, if I start growling, literally, it's it's not at anybody else other than him. So um, no, I, I got started in human resources about 23 years ago. Um, I, I, you know, I didn't know what it was that I wanted to do. I actually wound up writing about it in a book that's called Best Practices in Human Resources, How to Claw Your Way from Wannabe to VP. And it's actually out on Amazon. It's It became a bestseller when it, when it launched, which was pretty fantastic. Excited about Amazing. that. But in the book, you know, I talk a lot about how, how I came, how I came up just personally, professionally, and then I share those uh, extra tips as well. So you can't miss it. It's this, it's really, it's this obnoxiously pink book. You'll find it, you'll see it the moment that you, you're going to say, oh, there it is. And you can find me on uh, Brenda the HR Lady over on Amazon and, and it'll pop up. But, you know, I started off. I actually started off working in a Fortune 500 company. And, and this is my, this was my sec- third. Yeah, 
third Fortune 500 company that I worked for when I started really taking an interest in human resources and, and what exactly that meant. And I had a boss who was exceptionally supportive and really got me the, got, helped me get into the groove, um, really challenged me as a critical thinker. And I said, hey, man, I had some really, really great leaders around me to where I would literally just dial in and listen to everything that they'd say. I would, you know, if they were, if they were talking about a book or sharing a book, I would, I would go grab a copy of it and I would read the same things that they would read. And, and that's really how I learned how to be very successful at what I did. And this combination of, you know, leadership and HR combined together and it's not so much, it's, it's never a black and white industry to be in. It's always about, okay, so what do we need to do to figure out what's doing the best interest of the business and what's in the best interest of the people and what's in the best interest of the employees? Some days it tips in one favor and other days it tips in the other direction, but that's the constant challenge on, on how we can actually make the workplace a better place to work and, you know, get the people side of the business right the first time around. Yeah. I mean, that's what I'm all about here with the Happier at Work podcast. It is about creating better workplaces, but it's really interesting what you're saying about, uh, I mean, I, I don't have a background in HR. That, that's not my background. My background is very much more commercial on the leadership side of things. Mm -hmm. And so I'm interested when people say and when people talk about HR and, and how, how HR is, the perception is that it's a cost to the business as opposed to uh, bringing a, a huge amount to benefit or as opposed to like having a really people centric approach. This is what I'm hearing from the people that I connect with who work in HR. And so it's interesting what you're saying about bringing HR and leadership almost together. And yeah. it's the people and the, the business side of things, which I think is a really, really great approach because I never had that impression about HR before where it's seen as this kind of almost separate thing where you've got the, the marketing leaders, you've got the finance leaders who are all contributing to the business. And then separately you have the HR, which is seen as this cost to the business and it's not necessarily yeah. adding the value. Um, any, any thoughts to share around that or your own observations or perceptions of that? Yeah. And HR today is, I mean, when you look at a business that is really growing into its own market, that is expanding um, and, and really working to make its mark, in its industry and its niche and its marketplace, right? Really HR is... It's not so much administrative anymore. That part still exists, right? We, we still have laws that we have to follow. We still have compliance. You know, like the thing is the government is not going to descend on you with a bunch of, you know, special operators fast roping down on top of your building if your compliance is not in right. That's not how it works. But getting part of the people side of your business right the first time means that you do have somebody in seat who understands what needs to be done. You support what needs to be done. And once it's set up, once it's established, and once it's effective and it's continuing to move forward, then, then it gives you more latitude to really work on how, how can HR advance the people side of the business, right? Yeah. And so I think a lot of, I think a lot of leaders want to get to that part first without realizing that we haven't set ourselves up for success to minimize our risk and our exposure on the onset. And there's nothing wrong with going back and taking care of that and then continuing the path forward. And, and, you know, when HR people are, when they see or hear something that's out of line, yes, we do teach that. It's important to teach. And I teach a lot of that 
to HR professionals and, and to rising professionals, um, but it automatically hits their call to action button to begin with. And so if we don't address that, they're going to get turned off. They're going to be frustrated. You're going to see them on TikTok saying things they probably shouldn't say, right? You know, here's an employee secret for you. You know, you don't want to do that. So it's really finding that, that happy medium so that that way, you know, businesses are getting the benefit of both sides of that mindset. Hey. Yeah, yeah. No, I love that approach. And so I'm curious to know what is getting the people bit of the business right the first time? Like, what does that mean to you? Like getting the people side of the business mm, right? It, yeah. it means a couple of things. Number one, it it's where the leadership of the organization understands that people are its greatest asset. And it's well worth the investment, right? It's like a house. When, you know, people who are, are investors in real estate, they go out and they buy a home, uh, they, they dump money into it, they improve its quality, and they oh, at the end of the day, they improve their value. And the whole intention of that is to get their, their return on investment. Yeah. But they don't do the same thing with their people. And, and you know, the turnaround can be just as fast if you support that. And a lot of, a lot of leaders are like, well, I don't have the time to put into training. They're just going to have to figure it out. Yeah. Well, yeah. you know what, what would happen if your water heater went out in a house that you're trying to get ready for a market? And then you say, you know what, I don't have the time to dress the water heater right now. We'll do it later. And then you have a COVID shortage like this, where all of a sudden components like aluminum and copper are not readily available and you can't fight a water heater. Well, guess what? You just set your, you just set your operating plan back. What, how many weeks, how many months? It's the same thing. It's just different asset management, right? Mm. So when leaders sit and they focus in on getting that, when we say human capital management, it's not just a blanket term that talks about what's on showing up on your balance sheet or not. It really talks about, are you taking the same consideration in nurturing and growing and developing you, the, the capability and qualifications of your organization and the impact and the effectiveness of it beyond what your bricks and your mortar actually just simply look like, right? Mm, so if you don't mm. invest in a, in a house and a piece of real estate, it's just going to degrade. Well, why wouldn't you think that your people would be faced with the same same situation? This is it. Yeah, yeah. And then you have to start replacing things, right? So, yeah. So it's no different than a home. It's no different than, no different than real estate. So it's getting it right first time. And I have seen this meme as well, which I really like. It's, um, and I don't even know if it's a meme. It's just kind of this, maybe an idiom where it's, it's like, uh, what happens if we invest in our people and they all leave? And it's like, what happens if we don't invest in them and, and they, they stay? stay? Yeah, <laughs> I love that phrase. Yeah. I love that phrase. And, but you know, it's so easy to dismiss people because unlike bricks and mortar and grass and lawn and a garage door, and a roof, people do tend to evolve on their own, but they don't do it without a great deal of hardship. And they don't do it without a great deal of animosity sometimes. Mm. And so when, when people, they don't feel like they're being invested, they're going to only be so effective and they'll get there either on their own or they'll learn something. But you know what, man, how impactful would that be 
if they just exploded onto the scene because you took the time to support them? What would that do for your business? Yeah. 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 And and do you do you see that people need to be educated about that, that that's not the common understanding that leaders have, that they need to be convinced and educated that this is the way to go? I think they need to buy into it. I mean, yeah. I, I think there are, there are people that are just like, yeah, absolutely. Let's get it. Let's get it on. I think those are your high level executors. Those are your high level players, right? They, they've seen firsthand the value of that investment in time, effort, and money and support. Then you have people that know they've seen it, they know it, but yet it's still not yet a priority for whatever reason. And then you have another group of people that are like, well, I, you know, I don't want them to, I don't want to put all that effort and time into doing that. And then they go work for somebody else. So I think those really are the three levels that we run into. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So you have like the, the kind of the people who have they essentially they've bought into the concept already and, and they don't need convincing. They don't need educating. They buy into this idea. And then you yeah. have the others who, well, they know about it, but actually they're not really willing to do it just yet. They maybe need a little bit more convincing. And then there's the others who are just like, this is yeah. so not worth the effort because what if I invest all of this time, money, energy into my people and then they just go and find a job somewhere else? Then I've I, you know, I've, I haven't got that return on my investment. I mean, that's probably an entire conversation for another day is like how to actually hold on to the people once you've trained them and how to ensure that they stay. Um, but I know today we're, go we're going to talk about how do we get that buy-in, but also building that sense of trust in an organization, which is really, really fundamental, I think, yeah. in creating a better workplace. And part of that, like we, you know, we've been talking about psychological safety quite a lot on the podcast recently. It really resonates with listeners. I've been getting emails saying, you know, how can I do that? How can I implement that? So maybe that's where let's dive right in. Like, how do we set up for success? How do we create a trusting environment? How do we get that buy-in from leaders? Yeah, it really starts with having that man in the mirror moment because you can't lead without trust. I mean, trust and leadership really go hand in hand. Um, one, one will always wash the other for absolute sure. It, it's all about, first, first and foremost, is that leaders need to be very clear on what it is that they expect out of the workforce. And they have to communicate those expectations, right? There's a couple of things that employees will respond very well to. And one of them is the fact that they want to be led, not managed. They want to be led. They need to understand what the company is, ex is expecting of them. Once the company has that dialed in and they communicate it, then now the company or the leadership has the ability to hold employees to that standard. So if they say, you know, we need to have X percentage of turnover uh, or conversion in our sales by this period of time, now everybody knows what the end result is, is expected. Now it's a way of diving back in and figuring out, okay, so what are the obstacles? What are the conversations? How do we, how do we you know, close the skill gap on this? And are we continuing to monitor it? And if people are struggling, how are we going to help them with it? And if they're not jumping in and if they're not dialing in and if they're not buying into what we're selling here or, you know, picking up what we're laying down, then how are we going to effectively adjust this 
And how are we going to hold to that expectation? Does that mean that we kind of now have to trim some of the fat? And that may very well be the case, but at least the company and the leadership management, they all have a direction and it's a common, it's a common vision, right? Mm. And a lot of people have heard that, but there's a lot of other things that go into building trust in the workplace that people may not necessarily have known. And, and one of the first things is, is that if you haven't started focusing in as a leader on building trust, well, there's an old Chinese adage, right? The best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. The second best time is to do it today. <laughs> I right? love that. Yeah, 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 yeah. I say that so, all the time. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, and, and, you know, and if you realize that you haven't done it and, and all of a sudden you're like, oh, man, you start beating yourself up. Don't beat yourself up. Just pick it up and go. Right. So there are things that people respond very well to when it comes to building trust. First and foremost, um, you know, people we're, we're negative by nature. It's just how our brains are, are wired. We are negative by nature. And so that means that when somebody all of a sudden overwhelmingly starts giving all these positive affirmations out of nowhere and these sudden compliments every day, and it's just like, what is going on? And it, it's, it's weird because if, if somebody doesn't focus on that before they've never done it, it's, there's going to be a little awkwardness involved, yeah. which is fine. Right. But don't overload and don't overwhelm. Just start gradually and and move forward that way. Um, the other thing is, is that employees are very, very intent on real conversations. And they also appreciate somebody who's not afraid to have the hard conversations, the hard, real, true conversations. So when an employee is faced with the reality that there's an issue that's in the workplace and the leader is not willing to address it, they're not gonna they're not gonna trust that person. Mm. Right. We have to be willing to address the hard, real issues. And there are there's an appropriate time to say, you know what, as a leader, I'm not addressing that because that takes us off course of what our our business objective is. Totally, totally understand that. But when it's a consistent problem and it's still not being addressed, that's when people start losing respect for the leader. And it could be something as innocent as the leader not knowing that there's a problem, right? Because other like leaders in the chain are hiding it or they're not bringing it up or to fruition, right? So therefore, employees start making up stories in their head because in the absence of information, we make stuff up. Human beings don't like not knowing anything like we it's like dating right with like if you ever see somebody that dates and you know the person that they were going to go out a girl who's supposed to go out with a guy and he stood her up or he didn't call like he said he was going to and all of a sudden she goes through in her head like oh my gosh maybe he's like in a ditch somewhere maybe he forgot what house i lived in you know like he lost his phone he lost his no he's just not interested you know? <laughs> and i was one of those girls so i can say that way back when but you know it's the same kind of a thing Right. So employees tend to make up a reason as to why something is. The other thing that is extremely important is that if a leader wants something out of their employees, as far as um, how they execute on a value or how they live up to a value, I should say, they have to model the expectation that they want of their people. And this is a lot of old stuff. It's been around for a long time. Right. But that is key and important. So if a, if a leader is talking about how they, you know, they want to see their employees, you know, becoming more healthy in the workplace, then you know what? They better work on it themselves because otherwise it's empty, 
and it's meaningless. Mm -hmm. And you know Mm -hmm. what? Nobody's going to trust somebody that's saying something that's empty and meaningless. Yeah, yeah. If you'd like to know more about what I can do for your business, please head over to my website, happieratwork.ie, where I have more details on the services that I offer. I offer various different types of things for organizations like yours. I offer speaking, coaching, consulting, with a huge focus on data and analytics and how to use data to make better people decisions. I have a couple of ongoing public projects at the moment in relation to researching employee well-being, first-time managers, and I will be making those results publicly available as well. So if you would like to get access to that, head on over to my website. I talk about values all the time. The research I did last year and, you know, people who've listened to the podcast for a while will will know, like the research I did last year, part of that was this idea of values and values alignment with the organisation. And even beyond that is this this concept that like there whether or not you know what the values are in the organization. So do you have clear values, first of all, but next is like, are those values actually being lived in the organization? And if they are being lived, you know, is it, is, is that how people are experiencing the organization? Is that how decisions are made? Is that how behavior is observed? Is that how people are being promoted and rewarded and recognized for demonstrating these values? And it's, it's not enough for leaders to say, these are what the values are. Exactly what you said, Brenda, without backing that up with how they behave themselves. So if they say transparency is important, fairness is important, but then they're not being transparent themselves, then that goes against what they're saying the values are and there's some sort of misalignment and that would lead then to psychologically unsafe or kind of an an untrusting uh, situation, an untrusting organisation. Yeah, and one of the things that is the biggest, and this is a hard, this is a hard one to deal with. One of the biggest trust killers in the workplace is when, is when leaders do not address a problem employee, and they are a top revenue producer. Yeah, I could talk about that all day. <laughs> yeah, I know, right. That's a hard one uh, because sometimes you can have a top producer who is highly toxic. Um, You know, they, they, because they know they're a top producer, they, they feel that they can do whatever they want or they don't have to adhere to policy. And then they themselves get this thing in their head about, you know, like I'm a top producer and you know, they're never going to get rid of me. It's like, well, you apparently have never had me as your HR person because if you are that big of a disruption, I don't care how much money you're making for the company. Guess what? we can train another one of you. Yeah. You know, and that's the mindset that I've taken. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. A hundred percent agree. And I've seen that in, in a few different instances when I worked in corporate where there was someone who was very, very good at sales and revenue generation, but very poor people skills. And he was promoted then. But I mean, to me, that sends a message to other people in the business that we don't really care about the people side of things. What's important here is whether or not you're good at sales and generating revenue, even if you're leaving a wake of bodies, as they say, all around you, you're you're driving toxicity, you're driving underperformance and you're driving attrition and all of those things. Um, and I have seen it in in a couple of different 
organizations that I've worked in where, you know, and it, it, it's not the organization as a whole, interestingly, in my view, it's a very particular individual and a very particular team, but it's that's what's being shown to the others within that team is we value this, this is important and that person gets promoted, they get moved up the ranks, but it's it's causing an awful lot of toxicity. Um, yeah. Any thoughts on on just because I have that personal experience? Any, and I'm sure other people can really relate to this as well. Maybe from both perspectives, as a, as a leader, if you spot this happening, or as an employee, like how can you how can we address these types of issues? Right, and you know it, it starts with when it starts with it go, actually it goes back to training it, it goes all back to developing right so when you're looking at your organizational structure and you see a rising star or you have a you know a, a, a top echelon employee so to speak then you need to start figuring out it's like that person that's a that's a that's a time clock that's eventually running out right maybe not right away but at some point in time so who's going to backfill that volume yeah. Who's, who are we putting in place to maximize that? Right. And you know what? And here's, here's the worst part. <laughs> if you wind up, you know, bringing somebody in and they, and you train them and now all of a sudden you have two superstars and, and now you've just scaled your business up. Oh, isn't that a crying shame? Right. <laughs> now let's get somebody <laughs> else to come in behind them because now I got two time clocks that are going to start running now. And I don't want to lose both of them at the same time, which can happen. So why don't we get our next top performer in? Oh, yeah. shoot. Now we just scaled our business a third time. Yeah. Darn. Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so the, the process repeats itself. And so the thing is, is that when you have somebody that leaves like that, you lose a lot of that institutional knowledge. So the question is, what are you doing? Because that's something else, too, is that your people know your people know who's who and who's doing what. And when you are not, when you're not dealing with those things, then you know what? They just, they don't buy into what you're putting out there as a leader. And, and that's all about building trust as well. Mm. You know, people need to know. And part of getting, keeping the business, the people side of your business right is that they feel comfortable and confident that you are taking care of the people side of business, which means that you're doing everything in your power to ensure that those doors stay open and that you make payroll because yeah. that is a company's number one responsibility. It's not profit. Mm -hmm. It's not living up to shareholder and stakeholder expectations. It's about keeping that door open and ensuring you can make payroll week after week after week. Yeah. Yeah. That's your responsibility. And, and when you have someone in a position of leadership who is toxic and who is seen as, oh, well, they bring in so much revenue, so there's definitely not anything that we can do. We don't want to rock the boat. We don't want to lose this person. They have a lot of institutional knowledge. But at the same time, that person is toxic and they're having an impact on others within the team, uh, whether that's through absences or attrition rates or, or something like that. Like, what can what can you do in that situation? Well, it, I think it depends. So if it's like an apex leader, like a CEO or president of the company, get out because you're not going to yeah. change them. Yeah, yeah. They are who they are, right? Mm. And no amount of clubbing them over the top of the head is going to help that <laughs> out. So, but when you're talking about somebody who's mid-level, ultimately, if a CEO or somebody who's in uh, the executive suite looking down 
sees that this particular department has a high level of turnover and we don't know why, maybe you want to start ticking into what's going on because especially if none of your other departments have that level of turnover, now you got a real problem, hmm. you know? And I mean, I know of an organization that I was affiliated with that had that very same thing, that there was this one department that was constantly turning over and it was because of the leader, but the C-suite didn't want to acknowledge that yeah, because yeah. that person does so much else for the company. Mm. Well, guess what? You're going to have high turnover. But here's the thing. Turnover is expensive. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's very expensive. And, mm. and right now here in the U.S., up until the end of September, um, you know, if anybody else is on what's called Mini Cobra, which is if it's a small business and, and under 20 employees, then um, that employee still has the right to get their benefits you know, carry their benefits on for up to 18 months. It comes out of their own pocket. But right now, um, as part of our current stimulus package, an employer can get a dollar for dollar tax credit, which is great. But the problem is that they have to front the cost of that policy on a quarterly basis. Well, if you have an employee who has, what, easily a $2,500 benefits package month after month for three months, that's a lot for yeah. a, a business, a small company to carry on. Now multiply that times how many people you've lost. Yeah. Yeah. If you have a turnover of 10,000, you know, of 10 people at $5,000, well, that's $50,000 that you have to come out of your cash flow somehow, just so you can file a form where you now don't have to pay that. But that doesn't mean that the months that you're covering it, that you're guaranteed those sales to, to ensure that, you know, it's just, so that's why it's like from a business standpoint, if you want to look at it, the bottom line, it how it impacts your bottom line is what you got to look at as well. Yeah, absolutely. And, yeah. And I think yeah. we get, we get mired in, in the drama of it. We get mired in our emotions of it. And, and I'm, I'm not, you know, innocent of that either. It happens to me too. I'm going through a situation right now where I'm ready to say, I am so out of here. <laughs> I'm done with this. I can't wait till it's over. You know, I'm just over it. But it's not easy to still perform at the level that you need to perform at when you're feeling that, Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. but when you do it, people trust you because you're not backing out on who you are in their eyes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, 100% agree. I'm I'm such a data nerd. So I love kind of using data within an organization to show, you know, this is the cost. So if you're saying on the one hand, well, this this leader is bringing in, you know, let's throw out a few numbers like a hundred grand in a year in profits or something like that. But actually what they're driving within the team is underperformance compared Mm -hmm. relative to other teams or they they there's a higher level of absences or there's a higher turnover rate within that team and turnover per person is equivalent to this amount in dollars through lost productivity and training and recruitment costs and all of this kind of stuff. And actually you see then you compare the numbers and you say, well, this person is costing us more money than they're bringing in. Right. And so therefore it's it's from a business perspective, it's worth investing in having those conversations and, and trying to turn that situation right. around and kind of going back to the original point of it's a trust killer when people don't have those difficult conversations. Like that is the number one trust killer in an organization. Um, 
is is the inability to address those kinds of issues, especially if you're aware of it and you identify that there is a problem. Any other thoughts around building trust at work or, or something else that might have an impact on the ability to build trust? Or if there's any thoughts on how to have those difficult conversations, like what are the steps to take towards having those? Yeah. So first off, if it's not, if trust is something that you're starting to just kind of think about and you're starting to really get in, look, know that it is a long road to hoe. It, it just, it's going to take a while. It's not something that's overnight. Um, you know, you're really going to have to think through like, who do you really need to focus in and build your trust relationship with? But at the same time, don't get overly possessed about it because people are going to feel that level of inauthenticity and you don't want that either. Cause that's going to, yeah. that's going to work against you. So you want, you want your effort to be a, a, a benefit and have it as a payoff and not a cost. Right. So know that it's going to take time. Also know that you're not going to hit everybody. Right. There's history that's there. Um, you know, if you're if you're brand new building a, a company, man, you just got the best opportunity in the world to get it right the first time right out of the gate. That's fantastic. But you know, when you come in as a leader and you you know, you adopt the you adopt a culture, you adopt a, mm. a staff, you know what, you're gonna have your your share of challenges and people aren't gonna trust you right uh, right away. And you know, just because you may have somebody's back in one way that you feel is right. That doesn't necessarily mean that they value the same, you have my back in the same way. In other words, it's not going to look the same for everybody, right? For me, like me personally, if, when somebody has my back, that means that, look, if I stepped out of line or if I made a mistake or I, you know, like I'm dyslexic, so I say funny words and I don't hear it when I say it. Somebody will be like, hey, psst, you know, you got to, that wasn't the right word, you know? I'm like, oh, thank you. You know, I appreciate it. And, you know, it's like, I make a quick correction, but it's the people, but that may not to somebody else be having your back. That could be something else, but somebody else, they may say like for them having their back is not forcing them to have hard conversations with other people. They want you to do it. Well, you know what, to me, that's not having your back. That's giving you an excuse to cop out, but that person may have other things going on. Like they, their personality don't want to be the person that's disliked. They don't have that level of confidence. Mm. Um, you know, they may not even know what to say. And so having their back for somebody like that is really now shepherding them through that process. It's like, listen, you can say this and you can say that and acknowledge. It's like, look, I know it's creeping you out. All right. But I wouldn't be doing this if I didn't believe in you. And I know you can do this. Right. And and, you know, I had a, I had a situation a little while ago where I had two guys that knew each other. They were kind of stepping on each other's toes. And the one that was most upset about it, I said, you know what, let's take a look at what's going on with this other person. So first off, the other person is a man's man, right? He expects you, if you have a problem, he wants you to come talk to him about it, not go around. He wants direct, give it right between the eyes, tell him what he's doing wrong. Yeah. And I said, here's the other piece of it. He's also extremely loyal. He's a very loving guy. He's a good man. And if I were to come talk to him about your concern, he will forever wonder why in the back of his head, you didn't have the courage to come talk to him about that. That question will never get resolved for him. So you know what? To my surprise, they actually did meet. And what was discovered is that stepping on the toes wasn't intentional, which I didn't yeah. think it was. But what it was is that uh, the person that was accidentally doing the stepping was being approached by other people 
not knowing that the other individual was already working with them in another capacity. And what they were trying to do is they were trying to get to an easy answer. So they're going to the other guy. So basically their audience was playing the two of them against each other. Yeah. It's like a triangle. Exactly. Right. And it was multiple people that were doing this. And so once they realized what was going on, they got it very, very clear that this was, this was an anomaly. It wasn't anything intentional by either person they still had a really good strong relationship and Mm. they're like oh my gosh she's right (laughs) like man (laughs) yeah if only they had spoken directly to each other and had that difficult conversation as it might be exactly and once they started the conversation it wasn't as scary and that was the thing that the one said to me, he's like, the one that, that doesn't like having the bad feelings about himself from other people. He's like, once I started talking to him, it was really easy. I said, yes, because you already have a good relationship with this person. So believe in yourself next time. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's what leaders do. That's what real leaders do is that they help them reinforce, like, you can do this. I know you can't because you wouldn't be here if you did, if you weren't able to. Yeah. Just get out of your own way. It reminds me of this concept of of being kind. Um, so I think there's this understanding, and this is this is certain kind of a concept that's come up uh, a little bit for me recently, where there's this concept that being kind is being nice, and it's not necessarily being nice. If you're being kind to someone, it can be. Uh, and it's not even being cruel to be kind. It's but it is letting them know what's going on in order to help them. So being kind is about helping people, not necessarily about being nice and and, and telling them kind of white yeah. lies to their face when actually yeah. what they really need to hear is the difficult truth. And that's the kindest thing to do. So it sort of reminds me of that. Yeah, it's another form of compassion. I mean, yeah. you know, there, there's empathy, compassion, like those two are very similar to one another. And then there's sympathy and pity, right? You know, people who are empathetic, like imagine people who are out on a boat ride in the middle of the Atlantic for the very first time ever. The seas are choppy. They're green all over the place. And you know what's going to happen, right? Yeah. The difference between somebody who's empathetic and compassionate versus somebody who's, you know, is showing pity and owning that person's, that person's sickness is the difference between handing them a bucket so that they can throw up in and or throwing up alongside next to them. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. That really is a difference. I know that's kind of a gross analogy, but it works. You know? <laughs> Everybody understands that. I one. think people that's can understand much, that definitely. That's right. Give them, give them the bucket and the towel, and ride the and ride it out with them, right? Yeah. As opposed yeah. to taking it on, and now you're owning it, and now you're the both of you are heaving over the side. Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're in it together. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And um, Brenda, anything else that you'd like to share uh, in relation to getting buy-in and building that sense of trust within the organization? Um, no, just know that it's going to take a lot of work. There are going to be days where you're going to be really great at it. And then there are days where you go in and it's like, I got this. And then all of a sudden, pow, you're like faced with the situation. Like, I did not see that coming. Okay. The only way you're going to learn how to do this well is just to get out there and do the work and fail do the work and fail, do the work, have a victory, do it again, fail a little bit later, right? You're going to get it. And, and the, and the more you think like, I've been doing this for a long time, right? So I'm pretty good at the people game, but there are times where I go into a situation thinking that I've got it 
And then when I start listening to the person, I immediately have to change my approach in the direction that's right because I learned something. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's being going in with that openness, going in with that kind of awareness. It, and again, it's this idea of it's, it's small steps. It's having an open and curious mind, but also, and I, I, again, this is something that's kind of come up in my feed a couple of times recently is, uh, and I use the analogy of, of speaking. So even speakers who are really, really good at speaking, they started out as bad speakers. You know, they didn't just start speaking and immediately be really, really good at it. It's going to take time. And the way you get better and the way you learn is by making mistakes and reflecting on those mistakes and pulling out what the learnings are from that. Yep. Absolutely. Brilliant. So the question I ask everyone who comes on the podcast, what makes you happier at work? You know, it's funny because you warned me about this and I still haven't been able to figure this out. And I'm literally watching my dog shred a notebook of notes of mine. So this is going to be interesting to clean up. You know what? I think the thing, it's it's that stuff. It's, it's, the, it's the fun stuff. It's the, yeah. the rare occurrence, you know? That's the stuff that, that makes it happy for me at work. It, really, it's just like, have a sense of humor, enjoy life, and don't take don't take yourself so dang on seriously. I can replicate those notes. I have a lot of scotch tape. It's all good. <laughs> you can stick them all back together again. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, whiskey. You got a project that night. And if people would like to reach out to you, if they'd like to find out more, connect with you, what's the best way they can do that? Oh my gosh, I have no idea what he's doing. He's like ripping something to shreds. Uh, it's, I'm easy to find over at brendathilady.com. I'm on almost all the social, so you can find me out there from LinkedIn. You got to find me as my name, which is Brenda Neckbottle. And uh, everything else is Brenda the HR Lady. Brilliant. And thank you so much for your time today. I really, really enjoyed our chat. I can't believe how quickly it went. It seemed to go by really, really quickly. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for having me and thanks for tolerating Boom Boom over there. That was Brenda Neckvatal talking all about building trust at work, especially from a HR perspective. We started our conversation around the, you know, what it, what it means to create a better place to work. And it's about the best interest of the people and the business and how to bring both of those together. Traditionally, HR has been about admin and compliance, but it's moved beyond that now. It's about getting the people right the first time. So it's creating that effective work environment. And the people side of HR has really, really advanced in the last number of years as well. It's about setting ourselves up for success. So the first kind of key lesson to come from that is that knowing that people are our greatest asset. It is worth the investment when you when you develop people, when you invest in people is definitely worth the the investment. It's about nurturing your team, about growing and developing capabilities. And it's really, really important to invest in people. And we spoke about the three different kind of uh, theories, let's say, around that. So there's the people who have already bought in and they tend to be those high level players. The second bunch of people then, they know it, but it's not really a priority for them. So investing in their people is not really their top priority. And then there's a third group who really don't think that it's worth the effort. So 
you know, they probably see people as just a number. And to be perfectly honest, those people are probably not even listening to this podcast. We spoke about how trust and leadership go hand in hand and the absolute importance of setting really clear expectations. And again, I was listening to another podcast just this morning and on it, they were speaking about oftentimes as a manager, you know what the expectation is. And let's say, for example, you're talking about setting goals for someone in your team and you know what the expectation is but it hasn't been made explicit to that person and you continue to not communicate what that expectation is on the assumption that they know that they are underperforming and then it leads to a really difficult conversation at the end of the year which is typically you know you might leave that feedback until an end of year performance review for example. So It's really about setting those clear expectations from the start, making sure that they have been communicated, that they have been really, really understood. Employees want to be led. What does the company expect of them? Hold employees to that standard and look at the outcomes, that is the end result rather than the inputs. You know, have a think about what obstacles could get in the way, the conversations that need to be had, and the skills gaps that need to be closed as well. The second element then is this idea of the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. The second best time is now. So if you become aware of it, it's about moving forward, making that decision now. Don't don't be putting it off. There may be a little bit of awkwardness. There may be a little bit of negativity around that, especially if you are coming into a new workplace where traditionally this kind of trust building hasn't been implemented previously. Uh, So there might be a bit of hesitation around that as well. Um, It's about starting gradually. So starting small, but moving forward. The third element then is that employees should have an intent on real conversations. That is to say, hard and true conversations that they are willing to address issues. Because if you lose respect within the organization, then you lose trust as well. Sometimes leaders don't know that there is a problem because of an absence of of information. But when you have an absence of information, then you start making stuff up. It causes a bit of anxiety. And it's really about modeling what that expectation is. So if employees see leaders having those difficult conversations, then they know that that those kind of conversations are expected of them as well. Some of the trust killers that we spoke about were not addressing a problem employee. So if this If this employee is a high producer of revenue, for example, then, you know, the the tendency is to let things slide, uh, even if they're causing a toxic environment. And I, I know certainly, and I think I did mention on the podcast itself, there are definitely some examples that I have in my previous career where, yeah, you know, the, the, There might have been leaders there who brought in a lot of revenue, but they weren't, they really, really weren't people, people whatsoever. There's this fear as well around succession management, training and losing that institutional knowledge. So if someone has built up relationships with clients, a lot of internal knowledge that they can use and share, there's a fear of losing that if that person was deemed to be no longer a fit within the organization, for example. 
There might be some training required as well around how to have those tough conversations. You're not doing it necessarily, you know, to cause an issue, but it it may create bad feelings or people might feel like they have to please other people. But it's about educating people on how to have those difficult conversations, maybe the different communication styles that people have as well. Real leaders then believe in their team and they and they get they tell them what to do and then they get out of their way so that they can actually do it. This building this sense of trust then is this idea that you you have my back and knowing that someone in that organization has your back as well. That's it for another episode of the Happier at Work podcast. I would love to get your thoughts and comments. As always, feel free to connect over on LinkedIn and leave your comments and messages there. That would be great. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Happier at Work podcast. I'm delighted to have you here. If you enjoyed this podcast, I'd love if you could rate or review the podcast or share it with a friend. You'll find me on the website happieratwork.ie. 